Second Peter chapter three, we're in the final exhortation that Peter gives here. And next week we'll do a review and kind of stitch together the book. At the beginning, remember, we, we looked forward and we saw the themes, we pointed out all the themes that Peter has in this second epistle, really his final words, his last words, if you want to look at them that way, to believers through now all of time. And we looked at the different themes that he gave. He wants us to be assured and know our salvation. It's on the same standing. We have the power, everything we need for life and godliness. We have the example and Christ dwelling within us to know what we're to look like. And it's all based on the truth that God has revealed to us, his word. So we need to be on the lookout for false teachers because they come in various and sneaky ways. And we also need to be on the lookout for Christ coming again because it's a certainty and a hope that we have to look forward to. So as we come now to the, the ending section of 2 Peter 3, we're gonna see him summarize all of these thoughts again, and next week we'll focus in on that main theme that we've repeated over and over, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, though, we're gonna be looking at verses 14 through 16 of 2 Peter 3, and the focus here, what Peter is wanting us to go after to achieve is nothing short of what the biblical word, perfection. Are you perfect? Is that a high bar? You say, Pastor Phil, I'm supposed to pursue after perfection? Remember how we ended last week's sermon, if you were here, it was actually looking at our destiny. And what is our destiny? Our destiny, if you are a believer, if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are his child, our destiny is to be like him and to live with him forever in the new heaven and the new earth. That's what you're going to be, whether you like it or not, right? <laughs> in other words, God in his goodness and in his graciousness is conforming, changing, transforming believers into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And it's that pursuit then that, that Peter goes on in these next few verses and he says, I want you to pursue the perfect life. That's what your pursuit should be. I want you to pursue the perfect life. So that's what we'll be looking at today in 2 Peter chapter 3. If you would, would you read with me verses 14 through 16 of 2 Peter 3, beginning now. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Pursue the perfect life. So yesterday I had the privilege, nay even the experience, nay even the excitement of going whitewater rafting for the very first time. 
and I learned that people come from all over the world to the promise, to Idaho to go whitewater rafting. Not only did I get to go whitewater rafting, I got to go with the most, how do I put it? How would you put it? The best group of guys that you would never, I mean, ever want to go with. And so let's just start with the list. Of course, I was in the boat. There was Derek Castle in the boat. There was Jason Sprague in the boat. There was Casey Crail in the boat. There was Russ Donnelly in the boat. And there was Greg Winchester in the boat. So I got to be the young person. <laughs> and we, some of them had been whitewater rafting before, but I, I, I got to learn a lot. So, so what does it look like to go whitewater rafting? Well, you, you arrive there at, at the, the, the station, the place where they load up, and you have your choice of using their garments if you want. But thankfully, as you well know, it's well over 100 degrees. So we said, no, we'll just wear our swim trunks and T-shirt and our water shoes. We don't need the, you know, the protective, warm, life-saving water suit, wetsuit, none of that stuff. We're just going to get on. So you get on a bus, and they pack you on, and you know, it's that big school bus, and they pack it full. I don't know how, I think we had seven rafts times six people each was in our group. And they have a trailer behind with these big inflatable rafts that you hope hold air. And we found that actually they do very, very well at that. In fact, they hold so much air, they're, they're rather hard. And, and you get on the bus, and then you have to turn left. I believe it's Highway 55, you know, going up to Banks. And that, that's when you cheer for your bus driver if he can make that left turn, just because of all the traffic there, right? And you, you start heading up the highway, and you come to Banks. And if you know the tour of Banks, it's really simple. The, tu the lady on the bus gave a tour of Banks as we're going. She said, there's a cafe. That concludes our tour. And so there we were. And we had the option, we could go straight, and if you go straight and go up that, that way, the river is world-class renowned for miles and miles of class four whitewater rafting. And the reason it's known for that is because when they put the railroad in, all the rock that they blasted out, they put straight into the river. So it's not natural, it's not, man, not even uh, you know, natural the way it would occur. It's all man-made, and that's why this class four, even maybe more, I don't know, but it's, people come from all over. So what did we do? We turned right, yeah. We took the, the safer route, and, and we went up the fork, uh, and that's where we got to go down, and we did some class four and three rapids along the way. And with us, we had a guide, of course, in each and every boat that was in that group, but there was one lady in particular who was very important. She wasn't in the raft with us. Her name was Sage. Sage was a very, very experienced kayaker. Sage had her own kayak, and of course, strapped to her vest, she had all sorts of life-saving equipment, and she knew her stuff. In fact, on the stretch of water that we're going down, I said there's class three and class four rapids. Well, at one point, there is a class six rapid. It's a waterfall, actually, that curves through the mountains that's been carved and is deeply inset into the canyon. And at, at that stage six rapid, we're like, yes, that's gonna be so fun, right? No, before the stage six rapid, there are multiple signs saying portage. This is a new word we learned yesterday. Portage required. What does that mean? It means get out of the boat. It means you better not. <laughs> 
it means you better exit and go around this stage six rapid. And so that's what we all did. Sage did that as well this time. But this is how experienced Sage is. She's one of the few women that has soloed that rapid in a kayak by herself and lived to tell the tale. And she did it when the water was even much higher. And you'd look at Sage and you say, wow, right? She's doing things that my wife would never let me, that I would never do <laughs> myself. She is doing things that, that are you know, dangerous, that are out there, that are scary. And so we even asked a little bit our, our tour guide, his name was Andrew, in the back of the boat. We were teasing with him a lot. He got a lot of our lame jokes, unfortunately. He got a, a bit of our rough housing, as yes, we did push each other off the boat several times. But we asked Andrew, you know, what would it take you know, for us just to kayak this river ourselves? And he said, you need at least a year's experience to even put a kayak out here, most likely. And then you need to know the maneuver. And you know what maneuver I'm talking about if you've ever done kayaking. It's the maneuver, maneuver that when you get flipped upside down, you know how to right yourself. And I've never done that maneuver, so next week, Russ and I are going to, no, <laughs> we, we might go practice. We've talked about it. It sounds really fun. But when you look at someone like Sage, who she's had time, right? She's had experience. She's had determination. She's had drive. And you ask the question, what does it take for a person, in some people's cases, to be that crazy, if you want to put it that way, to be that extreme? What are you really asking? You're asking of a person, what are they made of? In other words, who are they really? Who, what are they willing to do? What sacrifices are they willing to make? What energy and time are they willing to commit to do something as crazy as soloing a class six rapid in a kayak? What are they made of? And as we come to 2 Peter chapter three, that's really the idea or the question that is being asked of us when Peter is saying you need to be pursuing the perfect life, the question is this, what are you really made of? Who, who are you really is, is one way we've, we've talked about it before. But he's, he's going really right at our hearts, right at the core of who we are, and saying, what are you really made of? And you better come away with this answer. I'm made of what Christ in me has made me. Does that make sense? In other words, if you're gonna live or pursue the perfect life, it's definitely not gonna be on our own strength or ability, or not based on what I can achieve or do. It's actually going to be Christ in me, and Christ making me, and Christ molding me. So what are you really made of? You might think of the title too, Pursuing the Perfect Life. Pastor Phil, you're putting before us an impossibility. But I'll remind you that this is our destiny, is it not? If you are a believer, your destiny is actually perfection for eternity. Because God's going to restore all things, all those who are saved, the new heavens and the new earth. And that's what we're pursuing. If you remember last week, I said, if that is our destiny, why are we not trying to live like it even now? Because that's what we're going to be. 
And I believe that's what Peter is getting at. That what you're really made of, if you're in Christ, if you are Christ, what you're really made of should be a full-on pursuit of Christ, Christ-likeness. So he begins here then in verse 14 by reminding us that we need, in our pursuit for this perfect life, he, he reminds us in verse 14 that we need to prepare for the final exam. Prepare for the final exam. Thankfully, for us to go rafting, there was a very short exam. And if you've ever done, you know, sports or uh, horseback riding or any of these things like rock climbing, anything that has some sort of liability with it, you do have to fill out a short piece of paper. And what does that short piece of paper say? say? It says, I'm a grown adult, I can make my own decisions, and I'm willingly committing myself to this activity, and if I do something stupid, I won't sue you, right? <laughs> the liability waiver. That's the only form or exam, thankfully, that we had to fill out. So that allowed me to actually go on this rafting trip. But what is a final exam? Those of you in college, you know that well. There's a final exam week. And it depends on how nice your professor is on how much that final exam is worth. Maybe some of you have had classes where it's worth something like 50% of your grade. Or if your professor was really nice, he said there's no homework all semester, your entire grade is purely based on participation and the final exam. It's a big deal then, right? Final exam week is, and what is a final exam supposed to do? It's supposed to reveal knowledge in your head, right? It's supposed to, it's supposed to show if you actually learned anything. It's supposed to show if you actually grew in your knowledge. And Peter's gonna say here in verse 14 that there is a final exam, a final day of accounting, a final day that we need to look forward to so that we're found in the right way. We're found of who we are made of in the right way. Notice verse 14, he starts out this way, and it's really as a kind and loving apostle, not a dictatorial professor, where he says, wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Peter is so kind here. This is actually the fourth time in just chapter three alone that he uses this word, beloved. Beloved. And it, it's not so much a, a term where Peter is saying, I love you, and, and this, this is love flowing out of my heart to you, although that is true. This term beloved is actually a divine love that Peter is reminding us believers of. And he, the reason he repeats it over and over and over again is often because we forget this so often, <laughs> that as a believer, as God's child, you are divinely loved by God. And you are part of his family, and you are in his family, and you have that fellowship, that relationship as his beloved. So that's how he sets up this section, that we are the beloved, divinely loved by God. And that gives us then that motivation, that desire, that comfort that, as Kevin talked about, through the storms of life, through the ups and downs, that we continue 
to pursue, to prepare. So he goes on to say, you're beloved, that we are beloved, and that we look for such things, seeing that you look for such things. The idea of look has the idea of waiting and patience. On our rafting trip, we were looking ahead. Thankfully, we had a guide behind us. But we were in this, the section where there would be rapids and there'd be a nice calm part. Then there'd be rapids and a nice calm part. So what do you do in the calm part? You push each other out of the boat. That's exactly what you do. Yeah, I thought that's what you'd say. Yes, that's what we're doing. And of course, there was wrestling moves used, different techniques. I was just standing, so I was an easy target. It didn't take much to push me out. But we, while we were horsing around or playing around, you could say, acting like young boys at times, what was our guide doing? <laughs> he was looking ahead. And thankfully, he travels this river like every day for months, you know. He knows it well. And there was a few times, even though he's way younger than us, that he said some very important words. And what were those? Get back in the boat. <laughs> Get back on the raft. In other words, it's time because he knew what was ahead. Because when you go through a rapid, where do you want to be? Well, one poor girl in front of us found out that you didn't want to be in the water. <laughs> one, one of the first ones. They tell you how to tuck your toes in so you can lock in. She was not quite prepared for that rapid and bounced out. And I believe some of the bruises that we saw later were because of that too. In other words, you can get hurt. You can get banged up. Peter is saying that you're looking ahead. You're looking ahead, not just for the storms of life. You're literally looking at the end destination. And he's referring back to what we've seen in previous verses as the day of God and the day of the Lord. In other words, you're looking patiently, waiting for the time when God will finally make all things right and usher in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we're patiently waiting for. He's saying, since you look for such things, in other words, he's assured at this point by now that you as a believer are assured of this fact. Jesus is coming again. So since you are waiting for these things, what's the response? Be diligent. Be diligent. This is the same word he uses back in First Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, where he says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do those things, ye shall never fall. And we looked at that, how that you can be sure, but you need to pursue after that sure and certainty that you are God's. So he uses this same word here. And remember, it has the idea, diligence, to make every effort. Make every effort. When that poor girl fell off the boat in front of us, she was trying to make every effort to get back on, but thankfully Sage was there as well, the lady in the kayak, and she had the strength and the power to make the effort to paddle up the rapids and to let the other girl, you know, grab onto her kayak and get her back to safety. But there's, there's uh, effort put in to fight against the turbulence, the toil, or the, the waves, and that's what Peter's saying, that there's to be make every effort, put in the effort, put in the time. So it, it begs this question, where is your time, your energy, and your efforts, where are the, what are they devoted to right now? What are your time, your energy, and your efforts, 
what are they devoted to in your life right now? And there, there may be many, many good things. It, it is good to go to work and to work hard and to be a good worker and to earn the support that you need to provide for your family. Paul makes mention of that elsewhere, and so does Christ. That is a good thing. That is a right thing. Hobbies, I believe, can be a very good thing. God is creative. He has made us creative. Hobbies let us show some of that reflection of the image of God in us in being creative. But remember that our ultimate pursuit, as we've said over and over, is not just temporal, momentary things. It's eternal, everlasting things that God allows us to use temporal moments in time, temporal things in time, for eternal glory. So what effort should we be putting forth? Well, he says, be diligent that ye may be found. Ye may be found of him. Here's the exam word. This word found has the idea of examination, observation, and it gives this sense that there's no place to hide. In other words, this is the full and it's the complete and it's the final exam and there's no place to hide. Maybe some professors have given exams to you that you, that you went through and you thought, that was easy. Or he, you thought this, I'm really glad he didn't ask that on the test, right? Or, oh great, we, we, we uh, totally missed on the exam the section that I totally forgot to study for. But when it comes to God's final exam, it's not like God forgot, okay? <laughs> it's not like God doesn't know. It's not like God is just going to be unaware. So Peter's saying, make every effort that at the observation, really the final judgment, even for believers, that you be found of him in what? Peace. Peace. What does it mean to be at peace? Serenity, right? Calmness. We know the opposite of, it, of that quite well, right? It doesn't take, you don't have to look very far, even within your own heart at some times. Human relationships, political news, what a blessing. All of these things, they don't really make for peace, do they? And what I believe Peter is specifically referring to is our relationship with God that we would know that we are at peace with God. Because if you know that you are at peace with God, all the other turmoil really fades in the sense of this is the most important thing that you can be at peace with. This is the same peace that Peter, back in the second verse of this book, says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So where does this grace and peace come from? It has to come from God, from Christ himself, and from that experiential knowledge. Look back at Romans chapter 5. A familiar but well-loved passage, Romans chapter 5. Because there may be some of you here today that you're like, I don't know if I'm at peace with God. The opposite of that would be war, right? And the Bible clearly states that we all come into this world under God's condemnation because of our sin. In other words, we are at enmity with God. We are God's enemies. So we don't start out with a peace treaty with God. There's something that has to happen. That's where Romans 5 comes in. 
Look at verse 1 of Romans chapter 5 where it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have, say it with me, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll continue reading. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God, beloved, is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what does it take to be at peace with God? It takes something as simple as this, justification. And what's justification? It's simply this, God declaring you righteous. But here's the problem, we ain't righteous. We all start out ungodly. But what did Christ do? Christ died in our place so that simply through faith, justification by faith, simply believing in what Christ has done, he has made us righteous. And God offers that to all men so that all mankind can be at peace. So in this final exam, the first question really is, are you at peace with God? Don't you love it? God has already given us the, answer, or the questions and the answers that will be on this final exam. Are you at peace? And then he goes on to say, without spot, Back in Second Peter 3.14, without spot and blameless. These have the idea of free from vice or no blemishes, no fault found. That's where I get the idea of perfect life, pursuing the perfect life. Here's the idea. You just have to be perfect. You just have to have no blemishes. You just have to be blameless, no spot found. And you're laughing at me, as well you should. Because what does it take for you to be perfect? Have you ever tried in your own strength to be perfect? Maybe put it this way, to be a good person. Today I'm going to be good. Or I could put it in the, the inverse. Have you ever tried to stop a habit that maybe you're we won't go as far as to say addicted, but you strongly favor or love. We were talking about it yesterday on the rafting trip. We got off the boat and they provided us lunch on a sandy beach and they opened some coolers and in those coolers were carbonated beverages. And we talked about some of those small vices of bubbly soda or caffeinated beverage such as coffee that we each have, you know, various cycles, aversions, or attractions to. And those can be really small things, you know, that, that can affect our bodies and our brains in various ways. But Peter here is talking about really our, our lives, our whole complete lives, of saying, will you be found without blemish and without spot? And you might say, Pastor Phil, that's impossible. And I would say, 
good. Because if you want the impossible done, there's only one place to go, and that's Jesus Christ. And so that's really what Peter is driving us to, that if we're going to pursue the perfect life, that pursuit really is of Christ himself. The perfect, the spotless, the blameless man. Over and over and over, we see that in Scripture. No guile found in his mouth. Nothing done wrong. And yet he showed and he proved that he was fully God, fully man. And Peter and Paul tell us then over and over, if we, if we are gods, that Christ is in us. And that his righteousness is upon us. So that on that final exam, guess what? It's not cheating to put Jesus Christ in the blank. When God asks, are you blameless? Are you spotless? And you can say, yes, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. And that reality on the final exam there motivates you and me right now to be really preparing for our destiny, preparing for the final exam, to say, if, if that's who I am in Christ, because of Christ, I'm blameless, I'm without spot, I have peace with God, then I'm actually pursuing a life of that. And what do we call that? We call it simply progressive sanctification. Progressive means you can have great rates. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that you're going forward that you are growing, as Peter says at the end of this book. And sanctification simply means to be made holy, to be made more like God, to be made more like Christ, really. And so we are progressing here in this time to be made more like Christ. So as we end verse 14, the question is this, are you diligently seeking to be found at peace with God? blameless before God? Is that what you're pursuing even right now? There's some effort that God says, I want you to put in, but it's not based on your own strength. It's based all on what Christ has done. So prepare for the final exam. Secondly, soak in God's wisdom. Some of us got soaking wet yesterday. We took turns doing a few things on the raft. The people in front get the wettest. And so we rotated through to get that experience because when you're riding the rapids, what happens? You're going up and down. The boat goes like this. You hit down. Here's the water. Here's the people. Kabloosh. Not only that, some people went a step further and it's called riding the bowl. And the reason it's called that is because you can sit on the very front of the boat, not in one of the normal seats. You're actually sitting with your feet hanging off the front of the boat and you're grabbing onto one rope right here like a bull rider would do. And some of the rapids, the guide would let one person sit up there and you got to ride it, ride the bull, really riding the raft through the waves. That's turmoil and turbulence. But there were certain times that the river, I said, would calm and it'd be smooth. And that's when we would soak each other, right? And what does it mean to soak? Well, we're good Baptists as we joked on that boat. So when we push someone over, we expect full immersion, right? Amen. Your head's going all the way under. Your hair's getting wet. You're going to be completely drenched in the water. 
And thankfully, it was cold water on a hot day, so it felt wonderful. It was clear water. You could see the bottom of the riverbed most of the time. We even saw fish in some of those clear parts. And to soak means to completely immerse, covered in that. And here in verse 15, really, he's gonna, Peter's going to direct our attention to God and his wisdom. And he's going to do it in a way that I think is kind of funny. He's going he's gonna to pick on the Apostle Paul a little bit and saying how hard some of Paul's writings are, but he shows that all of it actually comes from God. Look at verse 15 where he says, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. He starts with this idea that we've already looked at in previous verses. Why, Lord, do you not come back right now? And Peter told us just a few verses before, it's because of God's long-suffering. It's because he wants more to come to himself. He wants more to be saved. And so while we may look at it as, God, you're not good, you're not just, because you're not judging sin right now, God's actually looking at it saying, no, I am good, and I'm actually gooder than you could even imagine because I'm long-suffering, and I'm giving people a chance to repent and turn to me and don't worry about all the bad stuff that's happening. I'm going to judge that one day, okay? So you can't ac accuse God of not being good just because he's not on your timetable. And that's what Peter is reminding us, that we need to soak in the truth of God's word and God's wisdom. Because what happens so often? Well, we have objections come up, right? People will say, and eh, that's not true. And you realize very soon that you're going to be different than those around you. And we experienced a little bit of that even on the bus and the rafting trip, that we were not like everyone else around us, especially when, you, of course, you have a Baptist pastor. I get that. But you also have a group from a church, and people knew we were from a church. So at the end, of course, they had a cooler full of not just blue Pepsi, but blue Bud Light and all of those things too. Of course, we're not going near that stuff because there's a difference there. We want to set a good example in all of that. We even heard language around us that you wouldn't be, Lord willing, hearing today here in church. People saying things either about each other or about their, their work that we say, wait a minute, that does not fit with what God has told me how to live. And so we often get those washes of false teaching, if you, ever want, if you even want to think of it that way, of people really trying to influence and affect the way we live. And Peter's saying, no, soak in what is true. Be immersed in the truth that God, the reason he's long-suffering, it's because of salvation. And then he goes on to say, even as our beloved brother Paul. So he turns his attention to what we would call really one of the greatest apostles, right? Paul had a great ministry through all of that. Paul, even though his names mean small or little, and Paul, even though at one point, if you read Galatians, rebuked Peter to his face, remember that, here at the end of their lives, Paul remembered that this is a beloved brother, that we have a common mission, a common faith, and we have common words of truth. And how do I know that? Well, he goes on to say, also according to the wisdom given unto him. In other words, Paul's words that he wrote down were God-given. They were God's wisdom. They were put down on paper so that we can read them today, even in our own language. They were given to us so we can know God's word. So what is Peter saying here? 
He's saying, not just me, but even the other apostles and the other scriptures, you need to soak in this wisdom that has been given so that your mind set is right. So pursuing the perfect life, we prepare for the final exam, we soak in God's wisdom, and finally, we resist dangerous currents. Notice verse 16 where he says, also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Have you ever wondered why there's so many different denominations? And there's so many different ways that people believe or interpret the Bible? And what I'm saying here is not that we have it right or we have the corner on truth. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is that you can very easily take God's holy word and we ourselves, or as a church even, can very easily add man's opinions or thoughts or interpretations to it. And what do you get when you mix those two things? You get a pill that is poisonous but is desirable enough to be swallowed. In other words, you get some pretty dangerous things. On our rafting trip, they told us that it's very possible one of you may fall out of the boat. And if you fall out of the boat, don't do what your natural instinct to do is. Because you're rafting, and a lot of the calm places, the water, you can see the bottom, right? And you say, wait, that doesn't look that deep, right? I can see the bottom, what should I do? If I fall out of the boat, you simply stand up, right? And that's what we often think, but no, no, don't stand up. And the reason you don't stand up is because there's a lot of things to get tripped up on. There's a lot of rocks and boulders, and especially when you're going through the rapids, that's where all the rocks and boulders are. And what can happen is if you try to stand up, the first thing is you could get banged up. You bounce from rock to rock. We were wearing helmets and life vests, but of course, as you know, that only protects the males from so much stupidity. In other words, it can only handle so much, right? <laughs> but we were trying to be safe. But if you also stand up, it's not that you could just get banged up by the rocks. You could actually get caught by the rocks. Your foot could get wedged under one of those rocks, and the current is so strong that your foot gets caught, and the current, even though you're wearing a life vest, it'll push your head under the water, and people will drown. And there's actually a famous kayaker on one of those rapids that they so belovedly named after him. And the reason, of course, as you might well guess, that it was named after him is that he perished there. He's doing an early season run in his kayak, didn't realize there was a fallen log in the river that had happened over the winter, and he got stuck under that log and perished. And so there's a plaque there, nice bronze plaque on the boulder, and we uh, splash water on it, you know, in memory of this guy who perished. But what happened? He got caught up in the current, in the tide that led to his destruction. That's what, what Peter is saying here, even about Scripture itself. He's saying Paul has written many epistles. And, and those epistles would have been one Peter would have read probably a couple months after. Because remember, these were widely distributed to the churches. So Peter would have read... Paul's writings, and vice versa. And the, these letters then were sent out, and usually 
they were sent to a specific church. We have some of those epistles. But other epistles, like first and I believe second of Peter, were sent out to regions, like Asia Minor, to a group of churches to be distributed and read among a group of churches. And he says, speaking in them of these things. And what is he talking about? He's saying, Paul also wrote about Christ's second coming as well. And he wrote about it a lot. And so he, he agrees. In other words, we agree together. The truth of Scripture agrees together that Christ is returning and we need to be prepared for that. Note Titus, which is one epistle of Paul's. Titus, very familiar verses, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, where it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope, which is the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Sounds a lot like what Peter is saying here. Because Christ is coming again, it affects how you live right now. And he said, though, even in those, those things which Paul has written, in which are some things hard to be understood. And I love this. And you know why I love this? He says it's hard to be understood, but it's not impossible to be understood. He also says this, Peter, an apostle who knew Jesus personally, still had trouble sometimes figuring out what Paul meant. And to me, that's a great comfort too. That as I'm reading the Bible, it's not always going to be easy or simple, but I'm going to have to compare Scripture with Scripture. I'm going to have to follow the train of thought that it's given out. I'm going to have to be very careful and, and precise in my thinking through of what God has revealed to us. I, in other words, I don't want to be haphazard, or I don't want to take just one verse, rip it out of context, and say, this proves my point, everyone has to believe it. In other words, Peter is warning us against these things, but at the same time encouraging us that we can resist the dangerous current of false teaching and cling closely to the truth of Scripture. And that's what he goes on to say, that there are some, the end of verse 16, that are unlearned and unstable. He's using the same ideas of ignorant or untaught. And here's the challenge, don't be. In other words, you can't just say, oh, I'm unlearned and I'm ignorant when it comes to the scripture or the Bible. The challenge here is to study it, to know it, to learn of it. Or unstable, and unstable simply is this, it's the same idea of James, that double-minded man. It's that vacillating spiritual character. In other words, every time a great spiritual author brings out a new book giving a slightly different perspective or new idea, which probably isn't new, it's just resurfaced, and I'm running to buy that book and believe all that it says, it's, it's, it's a caution against that type of thing, of just to vacillate from, from new or trendy ideas even, or from this, this spiritual thought or this spiritual thought. And haven't we seen that throughout Christendom or history? that often the pendulum will swing one way or the other. You can have legalism on one side and liberty on the other. In other words, check all these boxes off and God will love you. Well, that's not a way to live your life. Or it can be God has given me grace and I can do whatever I want. Where's the truth? Well, it's somewhere in the middle, but often we rest. And that's with a W, not an R. And that, that word that Peter uses is to pervert or to twist, or to distort 
the scripture. So he's saying, don't do that. Know what it says and what you're getting into. A little bit after lunch, actually it was near the end of our rafting trip, they had a point again where we stopped, we got out of our raft, and they gave us an opportunity. And this was an opportunity. Climb to the top of a 20-foot rock and jump into the water. Would you take that opportunity? Well, not everyone did. In those situations, there's of course a lot of things at play. There's peer pressure, so there's people telling you to do it, right? You have to do this, it's gonna be so fun. It's gonna be so scary. There are other people who are saying, ain't no way I'm ever gonna do that, right? I don't like heights, I don't like jumping. Uh, Casey and I and Russ decided to do it. And I, I personally decided to do it based on these facts. The, the, the raft guides had been nice thus far and they had not led us astray. Secondly, there were no plaques around. <laughs> so I was assuming no one else had died there. And thirdly, I wasn't the first one. <laughs> we let a group of ladies, actually, I, the group of ladies got there first. We're letting ladies first, exactly, right? Yeah, right, okay. So there's people that went in before. And, and you know how your mom could say, you know, if your friend jumps off a rock, are you going to do it too? And of course, we've talked about the answer is yes now because there's parachutes and all those things that people are crazy enough to do those things. So yes, and, and you get up to the top and what, what are you not supposed to do? You don't look over the edge. You don't hesitate, even though your, your heart is pounding, your adrenaline is pumping. You just have to do it. You just have to step. And, and it's based in the faith and all of those things I mentioned before. But often, uh, depending on who uh, your source of trust is or faith, you can have uh, friends that maybe want to lead you astray, right? Or tease you about such things. And so you have to be careful of those too. But I did jump off and you know, you have that sheer terror of free falling for a little bit. And then for some reason I had my arms out. So they slapped the water pretty hard and my, they aren't burning, but I think they're bruised today. But it was still fun with that. And I only did it because I knew the end results, but yet some didn't. And I, and I can respect that too, because they, they don't want to be terrified at all of those things. But what's, what's the caution? Look before you leap, right? In other words, know what's at the bottom before you just jump off and, and jump into two feet water and get hurt. And that's what Peter is saying here. When it comes to the scriptures, it, it can't just be haphazard or jumping in or following peer pressure because that's what everyone else is doing. He's saying you have to be dedicated and committed to resist dangerous teaching, dangerous currents. And that's how he ends this passage. Look at the end of verse 16. As they also do with other scripture. In other words, it wasn't just Paul, but other scripture as well. Unto their own destruction. And that has the idea of not just the false teacher's own destruction, but the spiritual demise of all, that they're pulling, all of the people that they're pulling in as well. So what does it take then to pursue the perfect life? Well, it takes the one who is perfect. If you don't have him in you, there's no way you can even attempt to do this. But if you are in Christ, if he is your guide, if he is the one helping you navigate to the end, then we should be preparing for the final exam. We should be soaking in God's wisdom 
And we should be resisting the dangerous currents that are swirling all around us. And that's Peter's challenge to us here as we grow in grace together.